0: I was thinking this week um, about Christmas, because my house is full, I mean, I got my kids home, my mom is home, and by the way, I've kind of given up my TV to my mom, and I'm watching my mom's TV shows, but there's no sports, so I guess that's okay, but it feels like Christmas at my house just a little bit, which I guess is a positive thing, and I was thinking about this tradition we have at our house at Christmas morning, where we get up and we sing happy birthday to Jesus, and we have a cake, and we blow out the candles, and it's a wonderful tradition that I did when I was... As a kid and my kids did growing up, and we'll probably do for our grandkids someday. But I was thinking about kids. You know, it, it's something that they enjoy, but I mean, let's just be honest. When you're a kid, it's like, can we get through the song? Can we blow out the candles and just get to open in the presents? Because when you're young, it's about what you're going to get on Christmas Day, isn't it? And I thought about that as we jump into the message. You know, when we're young in our faith, and sometimes when we're a little bit more mature in our faith, that's the way it can kind of be with God, where we just like, all right, God, thanks for all you've done, but what are you going to get me? What are you going to do next for me? How are you going to you know, fill out my list of what I want? And on a side note, listen, if you ever want to make a whole lot of money, just figure out how to write a book, have a TV show, or do a podcast where you tell people and instruct them how to get God to do what they want, and you'll raise lots of money to do that, because that's kind of the nature of all of us. But here's what's true. It's true in your marriage, it's true as a parent, it's true with your kids and the kids of parents. In all relationships, it is impossible to have an authentic relationship with someone from whom you're always trying to get something. Isn't that true? When you're always trying to get something from someone, it's hard to be authentic because you meet somebody and you do that dance. You do that thing where you're like, hey, how are the kids and how's business going? But it's really just all small talk to the whole ask of how can you give me something Than I want, and it takes authenticity out of it and realness. And I'm just gonna say this to our sound guy just a little bit. Aaron, can you turn my volume down just a little bit? I'd appreciate that. You can't hear that at home, but I can, so just a little glitch in that. Because when you just always want something, it doesn't make it real. Now here's what people like John, who we're gonna you know talk a lot about today, and Peter that followed Jesus. And ultimately, the Apostle Paul, who came along and wrote over half the New Testament, he said, when you get past your list of all the things you want from God, and you get down to the very essence of what he did for us and how he loves us, there's something in our grasp that can change our lives, And if ever we needed to hear it, it would be now in the midst of the tumultuous times that we're living in. The Apostle Paul said, I was so in tune with God and was loved by God so much that I found that the peace of God. And right now that peace matters more than all the presence in the world, doesn't it? which transcends or blows by all understanding, will guard your hearts. And we need our hearts guarded in this moment. And your mind in Christ Jesus. And all the New Testament drives us to the sin that God has more than we could ever imagine. Well, we're in part four of our series, Bystander. And the whole idea is this is John and the rabbi from Nazareth. And we're following Jesus through the eyes of John who documented Jesus' life. And John would look at you and he'd look at me and say, listen, I wrote this, but know that I didn't believe in Jesus just because of faith. In fact, when I started following Jesus, I had almost no faith at all because I didn't even hardly know who he was. But John would say, "I I followed Jesus because of what I saw and some amazing things and what I heard him say. And so when John as an old man sat down to write his gospel, write his historical documentation of Jesus's life, he orientated it around several things. He he talked a lot about events, that Jesus was a part of events. And in those events, there were signs and not just random acts of kindness and not just random miracles just to help people out. He did signs that would point to the evidence, like real evidence, to the identity of Jesus, that through these events and signs and the identity of Jesus, John said, "I, I just believe. And I sat down to write through this whole thing, and I didn't want you just to know what Jesus did. It wasn't enough just to know what Jesus did. I want my readers, 2,000 years from now, to know who Jesus is, the God of all creation. And so John writes the Gospel of John, and at the end, and we've talked about this for the last several weeks, he kind of writes a summary or his purpose statement of why he wrote the Gospel of John that we're going to spend time reading today. And he, he writes this. He writes, but these... These things are written that you may believe, that's what I want for you, he would say. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the forgiver of your sins, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, and this is such a great place to pause today, because we're like, yeah, I want something, I got a list of things I want to have, I have a list of things, of what I think I need, and John would say, no... There's something I want you to have that maybe you haven't really considered in the midst of your life right now, in the midst of where culture is, and that's where we want to land at the end of our time together. So today we're going to talk about the fourth sign, and if you have an English Bible, the heading might read, The Feeding of the 5,000 Plus, and we'll talk about the 5,000 Plus in just a few minutes, but let me catch you up. This is Jesus' fourth um, significant sign. You know, He turned water into wine. He healed the royal man's son. He made a lame man... Walk. And now he's gone north of Jerusalem, like a hundred miles or a seven day journey, and he's hanging around the Sea of Galilee. And because Jesus was fully God and fully human, he's exhausted at this point in his life. He's been working his tail off, and he finds out that one of his best friends and a relative, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded and John's dead. And so Jesus is exhausted and he's mourning, and his heart hurts. And we pick up the story here, and John, as an old man, he writes, he says, And a great crowd, I remember that crowd that day, John would say, of people. They followed him because there was a group of people that always found Jesus, and they were large groups because he did all these things. John, well, why were people following Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. They followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick, now, Jesus is in a moment of his life where he's trying to kind of distance himself from people to kind of recoup and regather and rest. But because people were so you know, enamored with who he was, they wanted to be around him. And they couldn't decide, is he a prophet or is he a, ma- a magician? Is he got magical powers? Is he sent from God? Whatever it is, we just be, want to be around him. And so wherever Jesus went, people would find him. And this was a new group of people that he probably had not been around before. But this massive horde of people found where he was hanging out, and they approached him. And so he sees them coming, and John says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. Have you ever been so tired that you just sit down where you are? You're just wiped out? I think that's where Jesus is in this moment. And he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover fe- festival was near. And John includes this little piece of information about the Passover festival because it gives context to this whole story. You see, the Passover festival was something that Jewish people in those days, they honored every year. They would sit down and have this meal to celebrate when Moses, this amazing, extraordinary prophet and leader, led the Israelites out of Egypt. And this amazing man led them into freedom. And for thousands of years, um, the Jewish people had been looking for another Moses, another leader to galvanize their people because of the oppression that they lived in under the empire of Rome. And that's why he talks about the Passover meal at this place. John says, when Jesus, he looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him, And they're coming towards him, this massive herd of people, because they want something. They are enamored of what he could do. They had a Christmas list they wanted to put in front of him. Can you do this, Jesus? Would you do this? And Jesus sees this herd of people coming towards him. And he said to Philip, and I love this, Hey, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And this is a great thought. Jesus sees all these people. Hey, Phil, where are we going to get food for these people? There's thousands and thousands and thousands. Philip, how are we going to get some food in their bellies? And Philip, who probably wanted to answer his rabbi correctly and have a great response and act like he had great faith, he did the best he could, but this is what he came up with. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to even have a bite. We would spend everything we had just not to get a sandwich, not to get a cut, not to get a half a loaf, but just a small bite. Jesus, the answer is nowhere is there enough food for everyone, because there wasn't grocery stores, there weren't Costco's, and there were not food trucks. There's nowhere to buy food for all these people. Now, this is fascinating, because Philip was from that region, and it's almost like Jesus looks at Philip and says, hey, you're from around here, Phil, where's the good restaurants at? Where do we buy the best steak for all these people? And then another one of Jesus' followers, he looks down the crowd and in the front was a little boy. Most likely he was in the front because a little kid can squirt through the crowd and crawl under feet and legs and he's this little boy standing in front of the crowd and he's got his lunch with him. John tells us that another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so Peter had a brother, spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, which was kind of a poor person's lunch. And maybe this little boy had brought it to have for himself and maybe to sell to the people in the crowd. But how far will they go among so many people? It's a great question. And Jesus said, Jesus said, have these people sit down. And I'm sure all his followers were freaked out. No, no, don't have him sit down, Jesus. We've got to send him away. There's no way in the world we can manage this crowd. No, 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 have him sit down. Guys, haven't you learned to trust me yet when things feel uncertain? Which is a question we all face. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and about 5,000 men were there. Now that is a really important detail that John includes. There were 5,000 men Now, he doesn't include the women in this detail, not because women weren't important or women don't matter to Jesus. That's not it at all. I think he included this detail of 5,000 men because 5,000 men equal the equivalence of a Roman legion of soldiers. And that sets up the story for what the desire of this crowd is going to happen in just a little bit. So there's about 20,000 people sitting out in this field, about 5,000 men, which equaled one Roman legion. A battle weary soldiers. Love this. So Jesus, Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. And I don't know if he grabbed it from the little boy or gave him a few dimes or smiled at him. And remember, as he's doing this and he prays, only the guys that are around him, only his 12 guys know what's going on. In the field, there are thousands of people that are watching from a distance going, what is going on? What is going on? What is going on? But he takes This food, and he's going to distribute it for everybody. I mean, that would literally mean, or be like me taking a half a bagel this morning and start tearing little crumbs off and say, this is enough to feed everybody watching online, the thousands of people that are tuning in today. And I thought that to put this in context for where we are. This is like one roll of toilet paper, right? That would service everybody in our church for the next week. And we would all go, there is no way that could happen. And there are no food trucks, there's no bread trucks, and again, there's no Costco's open to go to. But Jesus is doing this. And he's pointing to who he is and what he wants for his people. Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And I think this is fascinating because in that day, people did not eat as much as they wanted because there's always a scarcity of food. But on this day, they got as much as they wanted. It reminded me when I was a little kid, I was eight, nine years old, when I was staying with my grandmother, I, I called her Nani. And we're having breakfast, and it's just me and Nani, and we're, I'm at her house, and she's making eggs and bacon. And she looks at me and says, hey, hey, Maddie, she called me Maddie, like most of the women in our family do, how many pieces of bacon do you want? Now, we kind of had a rule growing up that in my mom's house, my dad's house, you got two pieces of bacon, and two pieces of bacon is never enough bacon. And I asked Nani, I go, well, how much you got? And Nani said, I got about a pound or 12 pieces of bacon. And I thought, I'll have 12 pieces of bacon. That's as much as I want to eat at all. Had grease pouring out of my pores later that day. But anyway, these people were given as much as they could eat by the Savior of the world. John goes on to tell us that when they had all had enough to eat, which would have taken forever to distribute that food, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. Now, when we read this, you you need to know that for a long time people have tried to prove that this wasn't really a miracle. The food showed up somehow, but you you need to know there's no place to get this kind of food. And I just choose in this moment to go with the people that were actually there and were eyewitnesses and wrote it down and documented it. And remember, there's not a cart, there's not a wagon, there's not a food source in sight. And John, who followed Jesus, would say, now this was a sign to who Jesus really was and what he was coming to do in our world. And so his followers responded. It says, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets, which means there was extra, with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now all of these Jewish people that out on the side of this hill, on this field, they start to equate something that they knew about their history that once upon a time when Moses was in the wilderness with God's people, leading them to the promised land, every day God would send manna to Moses and his people, and he would create food enough for that day, and the next day there would be food, and the next day there would be food, and people started to quake. There is something significant and special about Jesus along with the story of our people, that God is showing up through this man, with this man, somehow we're not really sure, but God is present. And they ask the question I think we all ought to ask when it comes to Jesus. Who is this guy? And where did he come from? And who does he belong to? It's incredible. John says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they had been, began to say, surely this is a prophet Who is to come into the world. Now, I love this because for a moment, their stomachs are full and they take their mind off their appetites and they have clarity just for a moment. All their desires and wish lists go away and they start to see maybe there's something to this man, there's significance. But here's what we see in the story it's just so temporary because they can't hang on to who Jesus is is and this is how Jesus responds or we're told that Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force and I think John is trying to explain something to this because remember what we said there's 5000 men in this group of people and surely some of these people were thinking listen if we could take all 5000 men and head towards the sea of Galilee and go around the edge of the sea of Galilee i bet by the time we get away from the sea we got another 5000 And halfway home to Jerusalem, we could probably pick up up another 5,000. If we have Jesus leading us, feeding us, healing us, and doing these way crazy miracles. And maybe by the time we hit the gates of Jerusalem, we'll have collected 20,000 or four legions of Roman soldiers or the equivalents of. And we can march into Jerusalem with all these warriors ready to do battle with Jesus in front of us. And we can take back what is ours. And we can get our stuff and our control and our freedom and our riches back. And because Jesus knew the hearts of men and what men were thinking, he realized they all they could think about is what Jesus would do for them and give them. But not who he was. And what he really came to the planet to do. That's why John tells us that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come to make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And when you read this story, Jesus tells his guys to get on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes up to the mountain to have some quiet time to rest and recoup because he needed that just like you and I need that. And then finally, Jesus catches up to his guys on the other side of the lake. And they're all back. But in a moment, when Jesus gets back with his 12 followers, a crowd shows up again. Now, Before we get into this next part, I want to ask you a question about something you've experienced or maybe you found this out in your own life. Have you ever said or have you been around someone that said, hey, hey, I gave up on faith or I gave up on church because I wasn't getting anything out of it. You've ever been around someone that said that? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, listen, I I used to serve at my church, but I I served and I get anything out of it. And so I quit doing that. I used to be generous to my local church, and I didn't get anything back. There was no like return on my investment, and so I gave up on that. I used to come to church and I would sing and raise my hands, and it would just I I didn't feel like I was getting enough out of it, so I gave up. You know, I sat in the front row. I invited people. I I read my scriptures every, but I didn't feel like I was getting enough out of it, and so I just gave up on it. It feels a little bit of like that whole let's sing Happy Birthday to Jesus just so we can get to our. Presence, doesn't it? Well, hang on to that thought because that's where this crowd is. This is what John tells us. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, so they have a spokesperson, when did you get here? And I think this is so interesting because I think they're just doing that dance. Hey, Jesus, when did you get here? How did you get here? How's the kids? How's the family? How you feeling? Just that small talk. But what I really want to get to, Jesus, is past how you're doing and who you are And I want to get back to the list of what you can do for me. And Jesus, because he knew the hearts of men, he recognizes it. He says, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You're here for lunch, or you're here for dinner. You're you're here for a new car. You're here for something I can do for you, but you're missing the most important reason I'm here. And then he says something that blows their mind probably should blow our mind at the same time he says hey guys do not work for or do not give all your attention to or all your energy all your focus you do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you i mean they're here for lunch It doesn't mean their needs aren't important. It doesn't mean your needs and my needs aren't important. But Jesus is like, guys, the word of God is standing in front of you, and you're thinking lunch. You're thinking fish. The holiness of God is in your presence, and you're thinking bread. Do we get butter? God himself is in the middle of you, and you're thinking, what's going to happen tomorrow for breakfast? Guys, you're missing the gravity of who God is in this moment, and God is standing before you, and you've forgotten the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world, your sins. And you're thinking about the next magic trick that I can do. And so they asked a question, and it's a reasonable question. They said, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe? And so maybe they're starting to get it believe you what will you do and so they're starting to believe but we need one more sign we need one more thing now just to be fair to these folks i live here don't you we live here you know god if you would just help my kid get a job god if you just make you know the sick person healthy that i know God, if you just make our marriage better, our finances work out, then I would really believe it. And we kind of all live in that place, and it's fair, and it's real, and especially in the culture that we're in, and the place our, our world is in right now, these are natural things, but in the middle of it, John, and Peter, and Paul would say, yeah, but don't forget there's peace that transcends all understanding. And where they go next is where I go so often because they said, hey, our ancestors, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. So we're back to lunch again. You know, Jesus probably smiled with a lot of compassion on them. Now, I don't know if you've ever met a famous person. I've only met a couple in my life. I don't know a lot of famous people. I'd love to know a few more. But if you've ever met one, it's such an interesting thing. Now, in my world as a pastor, like one of the most famous people is Andy Stanley, who, you know, sometimes speaks here on video for us. And I remember Andy, who has done so many amazing things for the world, the church world. The first time I met him, I was standing with a friend of mine and we're introduced to Andy. And my friend goes, hey, Andy, will you sign my book and let's get a selfie? And it was so embarrassing. I'm like, dude, leave Andy alone and quit asking him for stuff. And so Andy does a selfie and signs the book. And he looks at me and says, Matt, what can I do for you? And I'm like, nothing, Andy. You know, you've already done so much for us our church and the church in America thank you so much there's just nothing else you could do because what you have done has been so good for God's kingdom I'm just so grateful so just just thanks and it reminded me what you do when you meet a famous person or someone that's accomplished a lot of things you know what you ask you ask questions don't you you don't ask for stuff you ask questions I mean can you imagine meeting Michael Jordan LeBron James and going hey the first thing I want to ask is for a set of season tickets can you get those for me Michael no you don't ask that you ask about game six the championship game when Michael did those amazing things that time that you know he dunked over Patrick Ewan and just demolished him that's what you ask about those amazing things you don't ask for stuff you recognize who's with you and you ask about what it was like and what you could learn And I just think Jesus is like, you're standing with the light of the world and all you're asking for is more food, more pickled fish and loaves of bread. Now when you go home today, and I hope you read all of John chapter six, what you will find is Jesus said some very tough things for them and to them. And in that moment, a whole bunch of that crowd unfollowed Jesus. They hit the unfollow button in their life and they went in the other direction. Now, for them, I mean, you got to give them a little slack because they did not understand or they had not seen the resurrection because they're on the front side of the resurrection of Jesus dying and coming back to life. But isn't it true for you and I? We don't have an excuse because we're on this side of the resurrection. And as a follower of Jesus, is you, if you're a follower, listen, we know that Jesus rose from the dead to give us life. If you don't follow Jesus... Just telling you, what a great time in our history to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to pursue you. For me, when I think about this, especially when I kind of get cornered into the world we're in and how I feel about all that's going on, I read this story and I ask myself, am I just in it for the food? Jesus, am I just in it for the Christmas list and the presents under the tree and what I'm going to get out of it? Or am I in it because you have life to offer me and a relationship with you? I I love what Warren Buffett said that I think is so relevant to where we are in our world. I've seen this quote all over the place, and I just had to figure out how to use it today. Warren Buffett, this famous man, says, "...only when the tide goes out do you discover who's been swimming naked." Now, that may seem kind of inviting to you, but that's pretty embarrassing if you get caught swimming naked. But isn't it true? When the tide goes out, you're exposed for who you are and what you really believe and what's really going on in your life. And I think we're in a season right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, the tide's gone out a little bit. And we have an opportunity to hang on to our faith for more than just what's next and what we're going to get next, but something that lasts forever and love that lasts forever And maybe if in your heart you've been feeling a little exposed, like, man, I didn't have as much peace and faith as I thought I had, maybe it's a great time for you to go, all right, Jesus, I need faith, and I need peace, and I need to follow. I think Jesus would say this to us. This is no small thing to which you've been invited. This is the game changer of the world. And we have an opportunity Not just ask for another thing, although I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But we have an opportunity that we've been forgiven so much as followers of Jesus. We can forgive everybody in our lives and drop our grudges. We have been given such generosity as followers of Jesus that we can be generous to our neighbors, people that believe, people that don't believe, people that need help. We've been given such compassion that we can show compassion even on the hardest days to find it. It means if you're a dad and you're a Christian, you can come and be the dad God created you to be to your kids in a time that they need you right now. And if you're a mom and you're hanging out with your kids and they're not going to school and they're driving you crazy, you get to be a mom to those kids in a moment in their life where it may change the direction of your life. And if you're a child, you can obey your parents as unto Christ. It's a powerful, powerful thing. You see a handful of these people follow Jesus. And after their resurrection, they followed in faith as they watched their friends lose their lives. Some of them lost everything they had monetarily. Some were beaten, jailed. Many saw their own death. They were burned alive at stakes, which probably will never happen to us. But they followed Jesus because they were convinced of what he had done. They watched Rome persecute them, but they outlasted Rome because of the incredible love they found through their Savior. Eternal life forever. And it wasn't about what they were going to get. It's about who they had and who had them. And this comes down to all of us in this moment where Jesus would look at us and just simply say, hey, who do you believe I am? Who do you believe? Do you believe I'm a magician? Do you believe I'm this guy just to serve you out of my food truck of life? Or do you believe that I'm the son of God that came to take away the sins of the world? Because when you get invited into that kind of relationship for eternity, it is a game changer. But you know this, and I know this, that it is impossible to have an authentic relationship with someone from whom you're always trying to get something. Because there's always a dance. And there's always, I'll do if you do. And God has called us into something so much better. It is why um, the Apostle Paul after following Jesus for a long time, he said, this is what I'm gonna go with, and I think you ought to go with this. Hey, why don't you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Why don't you just give God everything? And if you just wanna follow Jesus' model, we look at Jesus, say, if you're a follower of him, and say, you know what, Jesus, this is where I'm gonna go with my life. I'm not gonna do it perfect, and I'm gonna need a lot of help, and I'm gonna make mistakes, but this is where I'm going with my life, Jesus. Not my will but yours be done. I'm just choosing to trust you through what I'm going through, because I believe you love me. And that's better than any list I could ever come up with myself. Now back to John. You know, John's trying to describe what this idea of believing in Jesus and following Jesus comes to. Remember, he says this, he says, but These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, John, what might I get? I got a list. Here here it is, and I want Jesus to read it. Yeah, I know you got a list, John might say. But I want him to tell us what really matters. That by believing you may have life in his name. Yeah, but what about, I know. I know. But in Jesus, there's life. And it means you're forgiven so you can forgive. It means you've been loved so you can love. And if you never get another thing from God in your entire life, you will have more than you ever needed. And that is being called his child. That is the opportunity today and for the rest of eternity to look at God and call him your heavenly father. That means if you decide, not if you decided, but if your life ended today and you had to stand face to face with God, that through Jesus, you could go, Daddy, I'm home. And that surpasses all things in this world. And I don't want us, I don't want me, I don't want my kids, I don't want our church to ever reduce Jesus down to lunch or a food truck. Because if we do that, what's going to happen, and we sang about this today, is you will find yourself in negotiation with the God of all creation. And this is not a good place for us to live. When the times are good or the times are bad, we don't negotiate with the God that created us. We acknowledge who he is and we put our trust that he's got us in our hands. And my, my friends, if you're watching and you tune in because you're looking for hope and you're looking for help, and maybe you are just looking to how to get through tomorrow's needs, ask God for all that. But what God wants to offer you more than anything else is life in his name and hope in his name and love in his name. And for those of us that follow Jesus, this, my friends, is what changed the world. This set the world on a whole different course and it made the world better and it made eternity better. And we get to participate for that. And So what I've been praying for you all week, and what I've been praying for myself is I would grab on to who Jesus is. And then in turn, to love people the way I have been loved and you would love the way you have been loved. And in this moment that feels so tumultuous and we're not sure what the next newscast is going to bring, there could be hope through Jesus, through us who love him because we are loved in a marvelous way. Thanks for joining. I want to pray for you and I'm to wrap up the rest of our time today. So would you pray for me or with me? Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful for these words that John wrote down that describe so clearly what Jesus wanted for us. And I pray that we would never turn Jesus into any kind of lunch service or list that we're trying to get accomplished in our life, but we would just be grateful for what he's done in our lives. For everybody joining us today that they're just not sure where their relationship with Christ is, that they would just have the opportunity and the courage Say, Jesus, I need you to be the Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm giving you my life today and for the rest of eternity. And thank you, Jesus, that you honor that every time that prayer has been said. Thanks for loving us and thanks for giving your life for us. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.